Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our series called Mountains and Valleys. Uh, This is the second week in the series where we're studying the life of Elijah. You see, Elijah was one of the most prominent Old Testament prophets. He was used by God in incredible ways, but yet his journey was anything but easy. He had both highs and lows in his life, and the situation to which God called him well, it was just difficult. You see, last week we learned that the entire world changed around Elijah. There were, the economy tanked, the crops dried up, but Elijah continued to depend upon God. While everybody else was frantic, well, he was consistent. And we learned that dependency leads to intimacy. The more you depend upon God, the more you will see him come through. The more God comes through, the more you learn to depend upon him. And then you'll see him come through and it just leads to this deep, intimate relationship, which means God will keep you stable and anchored even when the world around you is changing and frantic. You see, God is stable and able to keep you anchored in the storms of life. You see, what was going on in their land is God was just quite simply getting the attention of the northern kingdom. They were led by King Ahab who, according to the Bible, it says he did more evil than anyone before him. He married this woman named Jezebel who was a foreign lady. She also brought with her foreign gods. But you see, Ahab was different. He not only tolerated the worship of these other gods, he actually built temples for them and offered sacrifices for them. You see, Baal, the one who is prominent, what we're going to learn about in the story, Baal was the the god of storms and fertility. In an agrarian economy, you see, this controlled everything. This god controlled the rain, which means if it rained, they'd have enough cattle. If it rained, their cattle could produce. If it rained, they would have crops, which means not only food for them, but it also controlled the money they gained. Whoever was in control of the riches will control everything and they they thought this was Baal one author writes what could be more relevant to the life of any Canaanite farmer anxious over his wheat crop and cattle shed when Baal was in top form the world was pregnant with life here was a faith that suitably scratched where folks existentially itched finally Baalism packed an appeal to sensuality sexual rights were built into the liturgy Baal allowed you to serve him with all your glands. You see, they worshiped this God because it met their felt needs, what they wanted right then. And of course, worshiping other gods were, is nothing that the God of Israel would tolerate. In fact, the very first of the Ten Commandments says they shouldn't do this. But rather than wiping out the northern kingdom, he calls one man to take a stand. He tells them, go to the king and tell him that Yahweh, the true God, is shutting down the rain. 
And this is a direct blow to Baal, who was supposed to control the rain. This is a direct blow that God's going to use one prophet against 450 of Baal's prophets. Baal is supposed to be in control, but yet Yahweh says, no, the rain is done. So for three and a half years, God stops the rain. The economy comes crashing down. A famine has wiped over the entire land. God has their attention. And I'd venture to guess all they want to do is go back to normal. Because isn't that what we want? Our lives have just been turned upside down for six weeks. And how many times have you said, how many times have you heard, how many times have you read, all we want to do is go back to normal. I just want the ordinary routine back. Although six weeks ago, many of you were complaining about your jobs. You were complaining about your over-busyness. You were complaining that you weren't doing what you really loved or what you felt God was calling. Over six weeks ago, you were complaining. Now what you were praying away, now your praying would just come back. Isn't that interesting? The very thing you were praying away, now you're praying for. You see, all Israel wanted was to get back to normal. And perhaps for you, all you want to do is get back to normal. See, my message title today, which will make Scott extremely happy because I never have him. The message title is Before You Go Back to Normal. Because it looks like we'll be going back to normal soon. No matter where you land on the topic, I mean, things are starting to open back up. And what we're going to pick up in our story today is when things are about to go back to normal for the northern kingdom. God had given the green light to Elijah to make it rain both literally and figuratively. He was opening things back up. And he said, go present yourself to the king and let him know. So he arranges this meeting, Elijah does. The king, of course, is anxious to meet with Elijah. And we're gonna jump right in the middle of the story. Here's where it starts. First King chapter 18, verse 17 says this. When he saw Elijah, that's the king, King Ahab, he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. So why does the king think Elijah's the troublemaker? Because he thinks Elijah messed up his normal. Elijah, you stopped my normal. You stopped what I was doing. You stopped what was going on. You messed it all up. And please notice that king is blaming Elijah for his problems. God has rocked this entire kingdom. He's told him why. Yet King Ahab is playing the blame game. And if we were to be honest, isn't that what we all do? When things aren't going the way we want, when our normal's messed up, when the ordinary's thrown off, don't we want to blame someone else? I mean, it starts at the very first sin when God confronts Adam about what did you do? Did you eat? He says, the woman you put here made me. In one short sentence, he blamed God and his wife. It's always natural. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't me. You did this, Elijah. But Elijah wasn't causing the trouble anymore. Then God caused Adam to sin. It was their improper worship 
is what caused the trouble. And in three and a half years, they still didn't get it. You see, God, God didn't want them to go back to normal. And he's going to make that quite clear. And so what I want you to picture in your mind now is a showdown. If you liked Westerns and you're used to Western, that's what's going on right now. We're about to see a showdown. 1 Kings 18, 19 through 20. It says, now summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That'd be a really big table, wouldn't it? So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. It's showdown time. Elijah and his God versus eight. 150 prophets and their gods. Elijah went before the people after everyone gathered and said, how long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. You see, their routine was in between. They wanted to follow these gods who could, who could meet their needs right then and there, the things they wanted, the things they desired. I mean, it sounded like these gods could provide exactly what they want. I mean, who doesn't want a lot of money? Who doesn't want their business to go well? Who doesn't want to never want? I mean, who doesn't want these things? But Yahweh, you know, the God they worship, the God their grandfathers and their, their parents worshiped, I mean, you could never make him do what you wanted him to do. You know, Yahweh was always on his own schedule and you bend it to him. But it looks like Baal, I mean, if we do certain things and we act certain ways and he's going to bless us, I mean, we can get Baal to do what we want. But Yahweh, I mean, he doesn't just do what we want when we want. So Elijah's saying, stop, stop staying in between. You can't play this game where you're trying to serve two different gods because it's going to come to a point Especially for Yahweh, because the first one is to have no other gods. But there's going to be a a point where your idols or your false gods is going to tell you to do this. But God is saying, no, no, I don't want you to do that. And you're going to have to pick. And this is the choice that constantly comes up in Scripture. Who is your God? Elijah gets to the point. He breaks it down in the simplest formula. Whoever is actually God, follow him. Commit to it. Don't waver. You see, God is not just the God of your Sunday. He's the God of your every single day. So Elijah has this plan. He says, all right, how about this? We're on this mountain. Let's see who the real God is. He says, bring up two bulls. You you get the first choice. Pick whichever one you want. Then you build an altar You prepare a sacrifice, and then you call upon your God to make it rain down fire. I'll let you go first, and then I'll go second. But let's see who's ever God sends down fire and consumes this sacrifice. Let's just agree. Let's just agree this is the true God. Verse 26, 1 Kings 18, 26. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response 
no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. So they started worship and they started doing the things they thought provoked Baal to do things. They said, if I do this, he'll do this. If I do this, he'll do this. So they start dancing and shouting and screaming, do this, do this, do this. And then verse 27 says, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. I'm reading from the ESV here because the NIV kind of waters it down and that's not fun. I love what Elijah says. He says, and at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be (laughs) awakened. So picture this, they're dancing around 450 people. Maybe the other prophets jumped in. So maybe it's 800. They're all jumping around, dancing, screaming to this God and Elijah's sitting back laughing at him. He said, why don't you just get louder? Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's in deep thought. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on a journey. You see what Elijah's doing here, and it's so good. He's pointing out that their God looks an awful like and sounds an awful like 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 them. You see, when you create a God, you can't help but create it to make it look and act like you. If you notice, all the false gods always itch these sinful desires you have. He's saying, since you've created this God, perhaps it's just like you. It's on a trip, it's busy, it's, it's doing something. You see, that's the difference between the true God and a false God because false gods provide false hope. They can't give you what they don't have. They're just like you and can't change a thing. So they shout louder and louder, right? Elijah's, po- I mean, Elijah's poking fun at them, so they think if they start screaming louder, it'll work. So look at this. So they shout louder and slash themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. This God had them cutting themselves. Midday passed, and they continued in their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. So picture this, they're giving it their best shot. They're dancing around this sacrificed bull. They're dancing around it. They're shouting and they're cutting themselves. And just real quickly, I wanna show you that that idea of cutting yourself isn't from God. He doesn't want that for you. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years and it's never from him. It comes from the wrong type of worship. But what I want you to see here is they're frantic, they're panic. I mean, what do you do when your false God doesn't come through? We feel hopeless, you feel scared, you feel nervous, you start panning because the false God provided false hope and they don't know what to do but panic and frantic. You see, Baal has been exposed. He is a fraud. When your false gods are exposed, you'll get panicked. You'll be frantic. You see, because they can't do what only God can do. They can't save you. They won't help you make it. And they won't fulfill you. Those things you want, we all want. Verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, I picture him quiet. I don't know why. I know he was just laughing and making fun of them. I picture him going, come here. Just, just all that, come here. Let me show you this. And they came to him 
and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. I want you to see that. You see, on this mountaintop, they had the altar to God. They tore that one down, built up another altar for this false God. And so Elijah went down, he picked up the stones and started repairing their improper worship. So come here. So we've repaired the altar. He did it in the name of the Lord, which is extremely important because worship is always in the name of the Lord. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your desires. Worship is always in the name of our Lord. It's about him. So he picks up the stones, rebuilds the altar, does this in the name of the Lord. He puts the bull on it, prepares it with the wood and has them bring four flower pots full of water and has it dump on it. And he says, do it again. He says, do it again. So picture this. You have this cut up animal over this wooden, over this wood with stones around it to make a sacrifice and it's soaked in water. In fact, he dug a trench around it so the water would be caught. The sacrifice is wet. The wood is wet. The trench is wet. I mean, it's completely soaked. So the only way this is gonna happen being dependent upon God. See, Elijah's saying, come here. Let's return to worship. Let's return to doing it in his name. Let's return to when we come to God, we are dependent upon him. It's not about us. It's not about our preference. It's not about your money. It's not about your sexual. It's not about that. You're coming here to worship because he is God. So he says, come here. He says, at the time, the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Oh, and I love this. Look at this. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and I have done, look at this, all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back Again, we got to pause here because this is so important to the story. It gets to the heart of what's going on and it helps us see the motives of God and what was going on the entire time. You see, Elijah reveals to us that this entire time, the famine, the drought, everything that's going up on this mountaintop is so God could get their attention. He says, let them know that I'm doing all of this at your command. Elijah knew it wasn't him, it was God calling the nation back. This drought, this showdown was all about the true God. And you see, God was getting their attention and I have to let you know something if you weren't aware, God is still in the business of getting our attention. And I'm not, I don't know what caused this pandemic, but I am, I am completely confident that God is using it to grab your attention. Because we have found that things that we depend upon, things that we've been trusting in, we found that these things aren't nearly as powerful as we thought they were. We have found that the medical gods, they don't know everything. We found that the economy gods, they've been halted. We found that the political gods, well, they clearly can't get along and are showing that all of their motives are selfishly trying to pass their own agendas. I mean, who uses in a pandemic to get through your personal pet policies? It doesn't make sense. 
and the identity gods, all these things that you thought gave you worth and meaning, they've been stripped away, but yet you're still here. See, when God grabs the world attention, we see it's because he wants, he wants their worship. False gods provide false hope. So instead of, listen, instead of wiping them out, he removed his hand of blessing from them. And he allowed them to depend upon the very thing that would not provide. And what they found was their false God couldn't help them in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a drought. And perhaps you found that those false gods, those idols, those things you worship, they're not helping right now. They can't do what only God can do. See, if you find yourself wavering, Don't be surprised if God gives you exactly what you want. He says, oh, you want to trust in that? Here you go. It won't work out. And if you find yourself, well, when all this happened, if you found yourself frantic,ing panicking, shouting, screaming, perhaps your hope has been in the wrong place the entire time. Perhaps your gods have been exposed See, all those things you depended upon, they're not as important now, are they? And see, God was doing this so they could repent. Even in the Old Testament, we see God wanted to turn their hearts. He desired their worship. He wasn't doing this to hurt them. He was doing this because he loved them. They were hurting themselves. So he removed his hand of blessing. He gave them exactly what they thought they wanted just to find out it didn't provide what they needed. So God said, come on, come back. You see, listen to this. If you've tuned out, you're on your phone, you're looking at Facebook, wait, well, not if you're on Facebook watching, continue. But listen, God wanted to bring revival to their land. That's what's happening. God wanted to bring revival, but what did the people want? We just wanna go back to normal. We just wanna go back to how it was. I mean, we liked it. It was easy, I knew what would happen, but God doesn't want them to go back to normal. And I need you to hear this because some of us, we just, we, we got to grab, grab this. Just because something is normal doesn't mean it's right. Just because you're used to it your entire life, just because your parents did it, just because you were taught, just because it's normal, just because it's comfortable, doesn't make it holy. Those two things don't go together. All they wanted to do was go back to normal. But God didn't want them to go back to normal. God wanted to bring revival. You see, there's something inside all of us that makes us think that when life is uneasy or life gets challenging, we think if we could just go back to how it was. We have the nostalgia, right? Nothing can compete with that. We think if I can just go back like it was back then. I mean, we think if I return to normal, then it'll be okay. I mean, even if it was a bad situation, people return to what's normal instead of dealing with change, instead of dealing with the unknown. We run back to what we know, but that doesn't make it right. I mean, maybe you've heard the saying, the better the devil I know than the devil I don't, which means 
It's to be better in a bad situation or deal with a bad person than walk into the unknown with an unknown person or unknown situation. And I have to say, this is the silliest saying I've ever heard before in my life. Since when as a child of God would we think that operating with the devil is our only option? And I know it's just a saying, but there's the truth of the human emotions there. People are so adverse to change, but just lean in and listen. God wanted to bring revival. He wanted them to experience him, which means they can't go back to how it was. You see, there's an arrogance inside all of us that think if it's not normal, then it's not right. But that's not true because God is in the business of change. From the very beginning, he tells you to repent. It's always been there. Turn from you. Turn from following your ways. Repent and believe. You see, God will lead you to the valleys because it's in the valleys you learn to depend. It's in the unknown, the uncomfortable, the, this isn't normal, I don't know how to react. It's in those moments we cry out, God, I need you. God, will you help me? Perhaps the very reason you're going through an experience, and maybe all of us, what we're going through, is because God is saying, come back. Lean in, I want your worship. You see, what we have to remember is these people, these were the people of God. We're not talking about some foreign land. We're talking about God grabbing his people's attention. And God's in the business of bringing revival. And we may find that while we may desperately wanna go back to normal, or we wanna go back to when time was easier like back in the 50s, or we wanna go back to how it was when we grew up, or maybe we think, well, if it's not normal, it can't be right. Maybe we just maybe lean in and say, well, God's trying to bring something. God's trying to do something. Maybe if I would just lean in and depend upon him, I would see past myself. I would see that God is moving. See, because when you're comfortable, you're far less dependent upon him. You see, out of his grace, he created space. Out of his grace, he created space so they could reprioritize, they could regroup, and they could focus on what really mattered. And I'm absolutely confident that out of his grace, he has once again created space for all of us to reprioritize. See, the event we're looking at in the Bible is all about exposure. Baal is exposed as a fraud. God's motives are exposed as well. He wants them back. He loves them. And he doesn't want them to wipe them out. He wants them to experience true and proper worship. See, they want the ordinary, but God wants to give them the extraordinary. He says, come back. So Elijah prays, God, show them what you've been up to. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. 
and also licked up the water in the trench. He sent napalm, right? This was before any modern technology. He sent napalm down. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. I told you Elijah's rough. You see, God answered. And what I want you to see is that true worship, when you encounter God, when you really seek him, true worship will always have you simply cry out, the Lord, he is God. When true worship happens, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about your preferences. It's no longer about all that other stuff that distracts us, like like Baal's worship where they're dancing around, come on, God, answer. No, no, true worship is where you just say, you are God. You are God. And when they realized this, they made the choice. They removed those people and those things that led them to worshiping You see, when God wanted to bring revival, we see first, he called out the idols in their life. He showed them how to return to worship. And he had, excuse me, and they had to make a change. You see, they just wanted to go back to normal. And perhaps all you want to do is go back to normal. But God doesn't want that. He wants to bring a revival, perhaps to your marriage, perhaps to your family, perhaps to all sorts of things. But God wants you to experience his blessings and his provisions. And out of his grace, he created space so they could learn who was truly God and what was truly important. And have you ever considered that perhaps Perhaps God wants to bring revival to your life. I imagine this pandemic has exposed far more than you were bargaining for. Perhaps your idols or false gods, what you were dependent upon, have been exposed as frauds. Those things you gave your life to, those things you just depended on, perhaps those things you thought you couldn't live without, you've realized they weren't providing for you after all. See, we all have to do some rewarding of our priorities. See, maybe for you, maybe for you, the God of money has been exposed. Maybe he's created space in your shopping habits. Super hard to shop when nothing's open. I know Amazon's there, right? But when you see that it may take three or four days to deliver, can't handle that. I mean, that's way too long. I can't handle it anyway. So maybe it's been exposed or maybe he's created space in your spending habits. Maybe you don't, after all, need a $5 coffee. I mean, maybe you can't actually live without it. Maybe you've realized that that paycheck can go a whole lot farther when you stop wasting it. Or maybe you've realized that it's really easy to tithe and give when things are good. But when it gets hard, well. Or maybe the God of busyness has been exposed. Maybe you've seen that your work-life balance has been off and you've had about five, six weeks now to say, huh, maybe it wasn't good. 
Maybe your children's sports calendar has been exposed. Listen, I know my kids are still young, but I'm telling you the truth. When I found out sports was canceled, I got so happy and so excited that I wasn't going to run around like a chicken with its head cut off. Have you ever thought about that expression, how horrible that is? If you really think about it, what we're saying we're like, that's pretty actually nasty, right? But it's true. That's what I'd run around over my kids' sports. And for what? Maybe that happened to you. Maybe the God of identity has been exposed. Maybe he's created space so you stop worrying about how you look so much. I mean, if you sit at home in sweatpants for five or six weeks, you realize, hey, this ain't so bad. Maybe you don't have to worry so much. Maybe you don't have to spend so much time about what people think. Maybe he's created space so that thing that you thought you couldn't live without, that thing that you thought gave you purpose and meaning, maybe you've realized that it doesn't give you purpose and meaning. See, all of this is created space. All of us have to learn. Listen, sports are gonna end one day. For all of us, it doesn't matter how good you are, they will end. Your career will end one day. It doesn't matter how good you are. It's not the thing that makes you. All of that will end. And maybe you've gotten a taste and say, hey, this was unhealthy. Or maybe, maybe you've learned to do some great things. Maybe you found time to read the Bible and pray. Right? Maybe you're like, man, I got some good habits going on. Maybe you've figured out that healthy habits are possible. Like you can exercise. It's actually possible. Did you know that? Maybe you figured out you do have the time to eat healthy. Maybe you just prepared your own food. Maybe you figured out that family time's important. I mean, we have family game night almost every night, and I lose, and I get frustrated. I'm not happy about it. But we have family game night over almost every night. We're starting to watch movies more. I mean, for me, it's opened my eyes to man, I can't waste this opportunity. Or maybe you, maybe you don't know this, maybe someone needs to help you out. Maybe you realize that social media really is an addiction and unhealthy. And just some advice, maybe you start doing some social distancing from social media. Or maybe you've realized that your phone can be six foot away and it'll be okay. You don't have to depend upon that. So listen, I don't know what it is for you. We're all different, but I imagine something's been exposed. If not, you're perfect. Just tell us how you did it. Send me an email. But our idols have been exposed. And if you haven't done it already, before you crave the normal, will you identify the idols in your life? See, idolatry is a source of all sin all sin, which means if you've sinned or you've ever sinned or you think you may sin, it comes from idolatry. It's putting anything or anyone above God and listening to them over him. Idolatry promises to provide what only God can provide. Idolatry says, come on, I'll give it to you and you don't got to deal with God. I'll make it easier. But it never works out. And right now they're exposed so identify those false gods and return to proper worship. Use your entire life to worship him. The primary call Jesus gives to anyone in the New Testament is to follow me. That's what worship looks like. It looks like following Jesus. You know that Jesus says you can't serve two masters. So choose, as Elijah says, choose who you're gonna follow. God's reordering your priorities, so just choose who you're gonna follow and worship. And listen, listen, 
Worship will bring you to a place where you just cry out, Jesus is God. He is my God. This other stuff, it's gonna fade. It's not important. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. Jesus is God. And then the last one, which is the hard one, commit to it. Commit to the changes. Commit to never going back. And perhaps this is uncomfortable. See, for them, when their false gods were exposed, Elijah had all the prophets killed. Now, perhaps there's something in your life you need to put to death. Listen, figuratively, not, not, not for real, right? Maybe figuratively, there's something you need to put to death and say, I'm not going back. I'm not gonna allow that to lead me that way. That person that was teaching me or pushing me or, or I, can't, I can't hang out with them anymore. That relationship has to come to an end. Or those priorities, I gotta put that to an end. Maybe there's something like if you're gonna commit to this, maybe there's something you gotta make a stand and say, I'm not going back to normal. Because perhaps, perhaps God wants to bring revival to your life out of his grace he's created space for you to really think about what's important what if you use this as an opportunity to say I'm not going back normal wasn't healthy normal wasn't what God wanted see I believe I believe God wants to bring revival to your life to our churches, and to this world. Will you pray with me? Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and the apostles, let it be known today that you are God in the world and that out of your grace, you've created space for us to return to worship. Lord, I beg you to answer us. Answer us so that we will know you are God and that you are turning our hearts back again. Father, expose the idols in our lives. Expose expose the false hope we have. And through your spirit, allow us to clearly see where you are moving us and leading us to change. Father, I pray that you help us make those changes needed. Allow us to see that just because it's normal doesn't mean it's what you desire. Father, allow us to commit our entire lives and devote them to you and your work in this world. Father, I pray that we, and especially me, I pray that we don't return back to normal. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus, who was anything but normal, our extraordinary God who gave his life for us out of his great mercy and grace. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name.